We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast. This is your host, Eric McKelkey, and today our guest on the show is Mr. Chad Lang. Welcome to the show, Chad. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Chad's joining us uh, from Glenwood, Iowa. He's currently an assistant superintendent of HR and school improvement. He's got his own podcast titled Learning with Interesting People and a book coming out um, fall of 23. Chad, is that right? That's correct. Yep. TBA, uh, fall of 2023. Roman and Littlefield is the publisher and then um, we're, we're shooting for uh, early to mid fall at this time. Yeah, being the the title of the book being clear about what matters: a parent's guide to grading and reporting. Um, so, Chad, you've got um, a real strong background when it comes to curriculum grading um, feedback. I I wanted to start the conversation today with with curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's safe to assume, but I'm going to assume most principals curriculum is not their favorite thing, but it's one of those things we know is important. We have to do it. Uh, it's never ending. So how would you frame the importance of curriculum for, for building principles, Chad? Well, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think it varies depending on the background of the candidate. Um, some, some principals have, you know, been a department chair or, been involved in some school leadership, uh, teacher leadership prior to their uh, transition to administration. And so, you know, it really varies on their background. I think it varies on their school system and and maybe what professional learning they've really had in their background. So it's an easier lift for them. And, and then just organizationally, systematically, what's their school organization like? Um, I've been in high school, taught in high schools with almost 2,000 students. And I've also been an assistant principal of a school with, you know, 200 so uh, everywhere in between, really, your experience kind of dictates that, I think, to a degree in, all, in every facet, really, of our leadership. 
um, but also, you know, systematically, how did districts approach uh, state standards or national standards in terms of their resources? I think that's always a, a, a big challenge for school leaders is navigating the difference between resources and curriculum. What uh, most people that I go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna I was gonna pause because that one that one is important. How would how would you define the difference between curriculum and resources? Yep. Um, the difference between curriculum and resources is is the curriculum is the localized version or the even the even the state version, but a localized version of standards that are prioritized in a way to make sure they're guaranteed and viable for all of your students. The resources are what we use to help us teach and assess the, the learning standards or the targets. So oftentimes, if you ask teachers or even administrators, what do you what are your, what's your curriculum for math? They'll say a company's name. Um, that's not a curriculum. That's a resource. Uh, that's a resource that's utilized. And there is no resource that can fully teach all of your localized targets and standards. It's impossible. There's not a company for every single school in America. So it's faulty to, to presume that a resource could be a curriculum. It's just not possible. Um, there are some really good ones out there. Uh, there's some, just like there's some really good car companies and, and, uh, but not all cars are made for all roads. So it's, you have to have a process to assess the tools that you have. Yeah. Sometimes budgeting plays a huge role, time systems. But I think it's important to understand that, uh, your, your resources that you have access to, you know, a district or a school community are not the curriculum and the standards are not a curriculum. So if you have state or not, as a matter of fact, if you read the first page of most of those documents, and so you have to have some sort of system of everything important, uh, nothing's important and uh, to prioritize. Yeah, I, I hear that one a lot where you you ask people what, what their curriculum looks like and they they give you the name of the textbook and I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe that was the thinking once upon a time, but but I would agree. I mean, there's no way that a, a textbook company from Texas or California is going to meet the needs of your local district and your students and what you prioritize. And um, I think that's important because I know there are districts out there and schools out there that they do buy a textbook and they do follow it, you know, page one to page 500. But we can we can certainly do better than that. Um, and we should, we should be, should be doing better than that. Where would you, where would you recommend principals start if they're new coming into the building or new to the district? Um, you know, curriculum is usually not one of the top fires burning that, that gets put on your plate as a building administrator, but where, where would you recommend they start? I think it depends on what type of year, what time of year is it? Um, do you have an opportunity to come in, you know, early summer or, or midsummer, or if, if that's not the case, or you, you're kind of diving in uh, with your teacher, with your teachers in the fall, let's just think about that. Number one, number two, uh, I'd be sure as heck to have some conversations about what our overall district mission and vision are about learning, you know, just listening to you say that saying, you know, it's, that's not one of your top missions um, to really prioritize. What is then? Um, student learning is also what we're here for. And so there's a lot of other things, school safety and culture and all those types of things that, that, um, uh, stand that as a director. 
principal. So don't get me wrong, but we can um, synthesize down um, what our priorities are. Like, what do we actually want to make sure when they walk across that stage someday to represent and what they can know or do and uh, kind of crystallize that down, that will really help drive some of the decision-making that you'll do. So where do you find that information out? Well, you might not have that information. Um, placards on the wall can collect up quick missions and visions and even websites now. The question is, what do you mean? So um, who are your stakeholders that you're talking to? Is it the board? Is it your superintendent? Other central office personnel? And I think one of the questions I would start with is, what is preventing us from being able to know or uh, is that our students can go? What, what are the skills or content that are in them? And you may not know, it might be multiple things. It might be technology. Um, and where can, you know, where can I try to learn more about where we can lever those things up within our current district? I would wanna meet with either departments or, you know, lead team or building teams. Talk to me a little bit about curriculum. What does that mean to you? Um, hopefully the theme of our conversation, Eric, is ask more questions than tell especially when I'm a new administrator, asking tons of questions, not in a, um, a way that's in, in an interrogation, but really more of a way of help me paint the picture, help me understand. Gaining context is really important for me. Context is super low in my strength set. If you have any familiarity with Clifton's uh, strengths. So that's something I have to be extremely cognizant of when it comes to curriculum is when I go into a school organization, um, you know, our teachers can't po apologize. They shouldn't have to apologize to me where they're at because they're in the, it, it, there it is what it is that they are where they are for basically not, no fault of their own. This is the system that it's created. So if I come in asking questions, like, you mean you don't do formative assessment? That's really just telling them you should be doing that. That's not really asking them why. So focusing on context with asking a lot of questions to bring clarity is super important. And obviously I'm sure a number of new principals to a school are meeting one-on-one -on -one with a lot of staff and just trying to build relationships. And I think that would be a great time to do that. Maybe categorize your one-on-ones, you know, a little bit about building management, a little bit about context and history, a little bit about their personal lives. And then obviously talk to me about your curriculum. What are your goals for our kids? Where do they struggle? Um, and then take good notes and look for themes. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know where you're going if you don't even know where you are. And and curriculum to me is one of those that it's going to take some time and some some digging and like you said, a lot of questions. Um, you know, another another hot topic that I'd love to hear your your thoughts on is grading. Um, sure. You know, it kind of goes hand in hand with with curriculum, but looking school wide or district wide, um, what do you think? grading should look like? Well, I think you need to 1996 book by Sue Brookhart. Look at 25 years younger, but usually it came for more than one, one time. And most of us would agree that the ethical thing for grades to do is to report what a student can know or do up against standards. And anything else that would be included in that would be not uh, above our pay grade. Like we, I can report things to you, but to actually calculate them and report them is in a, in a false metric is above our pay grade. We weren't, that's not something we should be doing. Um, and so that's, that's really where I, I just always go back to is what is your primary purpose of grading? 
And if we can agree that the purpose is to communicate an individual's alignment to what they can know or do of a learning target standards or contents even, then that's exactly what we should do. Nothing more, nothing less. And um, there's a lot of other things that I can teach your child uh, that we're responsible for, that we can hang our hat on, that we can communicate to parents. Um, but there's all kinds of false metrics and we've made things way more complicated than what they need to be. And um, they've diluted grades. I mean, there's just oodles and oodles of research out there about the dangers of points and percentages and actual research. It's not a hunch. It's not a feeling. Um, it's actual research that shows the great inflation that has gone on in our country over the years. Um, not that long ago in 1980s, I was brought up to be told that a C was average and that that was actually good. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was actually a good thing. Um, it wasn't a bad thing. And now, you know, if someone comes home with a C uh, on, on a grade, even if it's calculated with the best intention, somebody did something wrong, typically. And usually it's the teacher that gets the blame. So if if you disagree with that statement, then you probably don't think grading's a problem. But if you agree that, yeah, that's probably true, what he's saying, I wouldn't be okay with a C if I was a parent, then you then you know our scale is broken because a C is supposed to be. Um, I like that starting point, Chad, because I think unless you have that conversation about what what grades mean, you're in different different places. And part of that, um, that I've seen is, you know, including things like participation, attendance, behavior, extra credit. I think if you can, if you can come to a common understanding of what a grade means, those different things answer themselves, unless you've got a standard that includes, you know, behavior Correct. or attendance, it really should not be part of the grade. Correct. Um, and all of those things are important. See, that's that's what gets mixed up in grading conversations is people start to play the card of, well, it's a trophy for every kid. We don't hold people accountable anymore. Actually, it's quite the contrary. Uh, all of those things are still highly expected to be done, meeting deadlines. Um, it's just that you don't calculate that misperformance in with an academic grade. It's too important to do that. It, so we can communicate all of those things separately. They just need to be communicated separately. Um, you could make a portion of your grade, but it, it should be negligible to the standards. Unless, like you said, you actually had a standard in your school that said respect or something like that, or, or meet deadlines with an actual academic standard you report a grade on. You could do that. Um, I don't know any state that gives credit for that, but you, you most certainly could do that. But all of those other things are important. I would disagree with extra credit being important because we just need to emphasize the regular credit. Uh, first, because methodologically, that's completely inaccurate to do. Um, you're saying that doing X can replace Y. And most people that are in favor of that would say, well, in the real world, uh, no, in the real world, you can't bring your boss a cupcake because you missed the architectural plans that were due on Friday. You, you can't do that. It, you'll be fired. Uh, in the real world, if you want to be uh, get a bonus as an architect, you produce the very best architectural plans possible to win bids. And you don't try to do, you know, arbitrary worksheets of, of renderings that. Um, so really for almost all of those types of things that we have traditionally thrown in, um, you're, they're really just trying to live off power. I mean, some of it's a power move. Um, I'm going to manipulate students into things by, you know, withholding things or having, you know, consequences related to behavior. That's great. You should do that, but it shouldn't be calculated in academic grade. Yeah. And it should be up front and, and clearly 
articulated so that so that students know what that is. One one that comes up a lot, um, just looking at the difference between generations when it comes to grading philosophies, uh -huh. the the zero. Um, I've I've been in a school before that did not enter zeros for students when they when they failed to complete or turn in assignments and parents really struggle with that how is my kid not getting a zero i want them held accountable um what do you what do you think the the power of the zero is and what should it be when it comes to grading for bringing that um oh so first of all mathematically a disaster uh if you use points and percentages uh in average a grade it's absolutely disastrous it takes it can take, depending on um, how your grade books are set up, it could take 10, 100% to negate the effect of one zero. Getting a fact on people that get more than one, it's almost irrecoverable. And the fact of the matter is, is um, not completing one assignment is, you'd be hard pressed to argue that one assignment is the make or break. Uh, learning practice that has to be done because actually practice differs based off people's learning. I mean, we all learn different ways. So I don't know how many different practices one person would need. It depends actually. So one of the ironies of education today is that we push differentiation, try to the needs of our students. We have to differentiate within our lesson, but we never differentiate homework. Um, so you can't be confident that any one practice is the holy grail. Of that, that's probably faulty. We don't probably vet our practice that of all that that said they want their child to get a zero well we can still hold them accountable but you should have a behavioral consequence for a behavior problem an academic consequence for an academic problem there's all kinds of methodological flaws with giving someone a zero and the other thing that really what it boils down to for giving zeros is for teachers that have done that um hundreds really almost 100 years now or 50 years how's that going is that getting a lot of assignments turned in? And is that really increasing the the learning uh, of our students? I mean, sure, it, it'll work for a few students whose parents are really on it. But at the end of the day, there is no research to support that giving a child a zero increases their ability to learn. It just doesn't. And it certainly doesn't improve their motivation. My co-author, Matt Townsley, says, can you think of a student who in 10th grade that you went to school with didn't turn in assignments? Oh, yeah, we all can, right? Maybe it's even mm -hmm. us. And then he always asks the second question. Did you go to school in eighth grade with that student? Yeah, I did. Did he or she turn in assignments in eighth grade? Well, no. What about sixth? No, not really. And so zeros didn't really work for them, did it? And the question is, is it's not whether or not they should be held accountable. And oftentimes I hear people say, well, you shouldn't get anything for, for when you don't do anything. It's not about getting anything. Because we don't do learning practice to get something. It's not a transaction. It's to learn. It's actually practice. And so you shouldn't be withheld the opportunity to demonstrate what you can know or do um, because you chose not to do it. You, but certainly if you want to have an accountability um, behavior consequence, I'm, I'm all for that. I think we should do that. But academic consequences for academic miscues and interventions, behavior interventions, behavior consequences for behavior miscues. And you very easily can have systems in place to take care of that. And sometimes people will argue, well, um, that's not the real world, but it really is. Um, it, it really is. And there's lots and lots of examples for how it, for how it actually is. Um, and again, I, I don't believe anybody should be getting credit 
or doing nothing. Um, but those are how those, I just think you treat academics as academics and behavioral as behavioral. Yeah. Well, that, that analogy of the real world, I, I think it's important to remind ourselves, you know, the purpose of education is to get them ready for the real world, but we can't treat them Correct. the same way because my, my go-to is, you know, there's a lot of things you would do in the workplace um, or an institution of higher learning that would get you fired. But when you're a K-12 student in a public school, we can't fire you. <laughs> so uh -huh. we got, we yeah. got to be careful with the people that, that like to say, well, you know, let's get them ready for the real world. Yes. But we, we can't fire students. So why, why yeah. do you, think, and, why, why do you think there's such a fear for the schools that are still holding on to that zero? What, what, mm -hmm. what's, what's holding them back? Cause it's not, it's not working. It's not motivating. Mm -hmm. um, and as a teacher, I mean, you don't want students to not turn in work because you don't know if they learned anything. If the point of teaching is to, to see learning, I, I don't know what you learned if you don't do your work. So what, what's holding us back? Yeah, I think what's holding people back is the electronic grade book to some degree. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a great, great article out there by Douglas Reeves and, and, and also um, Tom Gusky on, you know, kind of demystifying the electronic grade book. It's caused more harm than good. It's certainly, there's great, there's some great reading out there that people should do on the difference between precision and accuracy. Electronic grade books are extremely precise, but they're also wildly in Besides put input you can calculate a student's average out to the millionth place and that will make it extremely precise i think some of that is really a power thing where we we want to make it heard or we think it's motivating you know well i want the parents to see a zero um in order to get the kid to change their behavior mm -hmm. which really really doesn't have anything to to do with with learning Whenever I work with teachers, Eric, that say that, I said, if you want the parent to notice it, just call them. Just, just call them. I mean, why, why do we have to use, you know, just, just call them. You know, when I was a head basketball coach, I didn't wait until the players shot 21% from free throws to call their parents on why they weren't playing. <laughs> I just called them and said, listen, they're, they're really struggling. Um, they're not coming to practice. Uh, when they come to practice, they're not focused. I just want you to know, I know you really love basketball and they, that they're not going to probably play very much because what I'm seeing in practice, the homework, the evidence is not matching what we need to see in games. And I'm not going to let them fail in the game and, and hurt themselves and hurt their parents and our team. But if you really want to communicate to someone, just do it. You know, just be clear. Second conversation, not give them zero because what I've seen a hundred times, and I'm sure you have too, is the alternate true zero, 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 zero kids didn't reading assignment that blah blah parent calls are really upset because their kids upset because they didn't get to do the rocket with all the other eighth graders now they don't feel cool blah 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 whatever it is and all of that could have been prevented with better communication up front and all yeah. of it was we value the same thing so i think that's something you have to think about too do you have a reason do you have a motivational reason that a child would want to complete the task that you're asking them to do in the classroom because if it's the same thing every day like i had growing up one through 51 odd in math i I don't, I can't see how you put a lot of effort into the type of practice that you're giving me in the, I mean, kids are, kids do dumb things, but they're not dumb. That's what I always say. And so after a while, you know, how would you want to be as an adult? Would, would you like that as an adult? The same thing over and over again. 
And the results for me, they're about the same, regardless of the practice that we do day in and day out. So, um, and I think the other thing too, that complicates grading is that, you know, most teachers were really good at the game of school. So they know how to navigate yeah. it. They were internally motivated. They colored inside the lines. They got all their spelling words right. And so they see school with rose colored glasses. They're like, I don't know why anyone else couldn't do this. I did it really, really well. And so, you know, I, I heard that from someone this year and I thought, what a great concept of bias. You know, how biased are we? Sure, there are exceptions to the rule, but most people were really good at school and they become teachers. And so they just see like, this wasn't that hard. And that's where you get into all kinds of equity issues as well. You, you just don't know where students are coming from and their backgrounds and how their, their families see school and how we can support learning. And I think we just write off and assume so much. Well, you ought to be motivated. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be just sick if you got a zero? No. No, <laughs> I would be. But, they, they, but most people don't become teachers, you see. So we maybe have a we maybe have a, a more narrow lens than a wide one. Yeah, I think that's a huge challenge because all the things that students struggle with in school, most teachers can't really empathize with because mm -hmm. you know, you and I must have had the same math teacher growing up, but he he thought one through fifty one odds was fun. I mean, he looked forward right. to that. And why would no one want to go home and do one through right. fifty one odds? Um and it's hard it's well, hard to hard to relate. You got to remind yourself that, you know, they're not like you were when you were a student. And a lot of what we do, I think we, we just make that assumption that they look at school the way I looked at school. And, well, that's a hundred percent true. And, and I think here's the other thing. When I, when I was in that math class in seventh grade math or sixth grade math or whatever it was, there weren't standards. There weren't expectations. There were expectations from our local school board to prepare people for whatever the rigors were outside of the, the four walls of high school. But there weren't standards from statewide national testing where, where schools were targeted and had statuses and things like that. The rigor was we did a study of a, of a university placement math practice booklet from like the 1960s. This is a division one institution. I'm not going to say the name of it. doesn't matter. And we looked at the math that they said, you study this book, you'd be prepared to get into this university. And we had, we did a crosswalk to our curriculum in 2021. It was third grade. It was third grade math in the 1960s to get into this university. And I'm not going to say the name because I'm not going to make a joke about it, but it wouldn't matter. It'd be all the same. Not all of it was third grade, but a lot of it was for us. So you think about the rigor change and what we ask students to do. That's not a cop out. It really is. Otherwise, we wouldn't have shows called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader and all those things. And I hear from parents all the time, all the time. I can't help them with any of this stuff anymore. And it's usually in elementary school. And um, that's real. That's not insulting. I mean, they are cognitively well able to do it if it, they just don't always know the tips or tricks or the vocab or those kinds of things. And that would be fair of any of us who haven't done anything for 30 or 40 years. But it's, it is cognitively more complex. There is more rigor. And so the way we teach and practice has to be different. It has to be different. If I did one through 51 odd and skipped every other assignment in the 1990s or 80s, I actually was probably fine. I mean, really, truly. If I would have got a D plus in the class, I, you know, whatever it was, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered because I would have garnered enough math. I just didn't do it in the way that that individual wanted it to look. But I would have garnered some math through that way. But why should you have to do that? I mean, wouldn't you want to appeal to someone's growth mindset, have them actually see what they could be good at instead of just trudging them through the conveyor belt? Most people have seen the clip of I Love Lucy where she's putting the chocolates in her dress and she can't keep up with them. 
school doesn't have to be like that. And it shouldn't be like that because we don't live in a content. Um, we're not, we're not in a knowledge economy anymore. I mean, think of chat GPT. I mean, think of Google, like you, you are not valued for what you know. Um, as flip flippin says, you know, content is commoditized. There's 10 million people on YouTube that can explain something better than I can right now. So uh, my value as a teacher and as a school has changed. Now there aren't, I still have extremely high value on those people that can apply the learning to your life and, and how we do that and teach collaboration and, and cooperation and working together and problem solving and critical thinking. But that content, you are not the master of content anymore to a large degree, especially secondarily. Yes, you know, there, you can't, a kindergartner can't go on and teach himself phonics probably very easily. But I used to be a history teacher, Eric. I mean, I thought I was the conduit of all learning when it came to the Civil War, American government, and surely I'm not. And and that was 20 years ago, but um, think about it now. So we have a different role, a different responsibility. And so that makes those poor grading practices even more harmful because there is no magical assignment that you are going to assign that is going to say, yes, if you don't do the section review on worldwide expansion during the 1900s in these six questions from the back of the book, you you will not understand alliances when it comes to World War I. That's completely crazy. Because seriously, on Siri, they go, hey, Siri, what's alliances? I mean, and, and you could get a better definition, you get better than reading it. It doesn't mean that they're lazy. It doesn't, I mean, it, that, it goes back to that real world example. I see people doing that all the time. They're like, well, it was the same argument about typewriters and about um, TI-83 calculators and all those kinds of things. And we criticize students from doing it. And then you walk right out of the school into the grocery store or the gas station. And I see people using GPS to get around town that they should know how to get around. I see people asking Siri ridiculous things that they should know, right? Like, hey, what's, is there more gallons and cups, you know, and things like that? Like, I'll hear them asking this little electronic device on their kitchen sink, and they're adults. And so it's like utilizing that type of technology or utilizing your resources is only reserved for when you've made it through this rite of passage of this antiquated conveyor belt system of school. And we're missing an opportunity uh, if we don't really realize that. And I think once you think about how grading, when you're grading some antiquated practices, just how damaging that can be to someone's, well, their GPA, their motivation, perhaps, uh, or even just their love for learning. Yeah, it can have a big impact. What we're seeing is, what we're seeing is, is that it it really, when you, when you take points off for everything or zeros, you decrease their ability to want to fail. Now, listen to what I'm saying is like to actually take a risk and innovate and, and try to put more weight on the scale to build the bridge stronger, try a different trestle design or whatever. If you knew you had one shot to do that assignment, that decreases innovation, creativity, which is exactly what we need in 2022, 2023 and beyond, because you could lose a point, you could miss something. And of course, it increases cheating. So yeah. that's why people are really worried about chat GPT and AI and all these kinds of things. And the question shouldn't be, yeah, I would be worried too, but there are ways to ask uh, your students or work with your students to problem solve that they don't have to be on a computer. So, I mean, that would be my first step is, well, have we worked out a problem? Did you know that ChatGPT can write a whole code? Yeah, I, I do know that. And I don't even know all it can do. Did you know it could write a whole essay? Yeah, 
I, I see that. I've even tried it. Um, but I kind of just sit down with a half piece of paper and say, can we write a thesis statement together? Is that still okay to do? <laughs> Sorry, I got off on a tangent on that. I apologize. But no. I see it all as a circular issue, you know, and so grading just flows right in that. Um, but it's really about teaching and learning. It's really about meeting the needs of our economy and the type of critical thinking and skills our kids are going to need to have. And I think sometimes we're just fearful as adults because we're like, I don't know how to operate in that world. Uh, it, it's moved too fast. I, I can't control it. Right. So you just cling on to what you know. Yeah. And, and grading is a big part of that. Talking the real world, I think we as educators talk about it all the time, but I, I would also argue we're one of the only professions we don't live in the real world. We live in school and, and school is not the real world. So unless oh, you great point, unless you've been in another career, but you know, those of us that went from high school to college to the classroom, it's like, do you really know how the mm -hmm. real world works? Um, maybe your spouse mm -hmm. does, but a lot yeah. of us have never been, never been in it and grading, you know, in, in public education looks very different than, you know, grading or evaluations in probably any other, any other career field. Agreed. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I've been in education my whole life. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I've just only been fortunate enough to be friends with lots of people that don't work in education. And so I talk, I ask them lots of questions about their job and about how they get evaluated and how they get feedback and, you know, do they get fired when they, you know, forget uh, to meet the first deadline and things like that? And you know what? They don't. They're, they're all gainfully employed. They've all made mistakes. As a matter of fact, because of the mistakes, they've gotten even better at what they do because they got feedback. They didn't get a slap on the hand that says you lose $13.82 because of some arbitrary number. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, I'm really disappointed that you didn't ask me questions before we had this big presentation. I don't want that to happen again. What can I do to help you? And they got better yeah. or, yeah. you know, whatever it was in their job. I've got some friends that work in banking. So like they were always doing really big time presentations, for example. And those are the things they share with me now. You know, I'm sure there's exceptions to lots and lots of rules. And I'm obviously not advocating people get paid when they're not there. Uh, that type of thing. Yeah. Or, or allowed to repeatedly miss deadlines, but they're yeah. also, they're, they're not afraid of, you know, if I take a risk, I might lose five points on the rubric. Um, that's that's probably not how they operate. Um, well, and, and the flip side, that's true. You're not doing any leveled increase of quality because of the five points. Yeah, that's those people that produce uh, at the top level where they you're like, this is better than I could have ever imagined. I'm so thrilled by your performance. It wasn't extrinsic. That was the deal. It wasn't the big bonus. It was having a knack for quality, having a knack for, you know, making people happy, being internally satisfied, that internal and intrinsic motivation. I mean, and, and the extrinsic will come, you know, the financial uh, ramifications will come and they always do. Uh, I think there are people that are driven by those metrics, but largely it's never sustainable. So um, you can't fake it. it. It's just authenticity of high quality and wanting to do the right thing always seem to take precedent. And yeah. again, you, like you said, Eric, we're, we're kind of, we know our field, but I think most people would, would find that to be true in their fields as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chad, um, tell the listeners, what's the best way to get in touch with you if they, they have questions or, or want to chat. 
Best way to get in touch with me is on Twitter, honestly, uh, at Chad, C-H-A-D underscore, lowercase m, uh, capital L, L-A-N-G, just underscore Chad, excuse me, Chad underscore M at Lang. Um, that's really the best way to reach out to me. Send me a direct message. And, and if you want to have a conversation further about grading assessment school leadership, I don't have all the answers. Um, spent about uh, the last 15 years of education, really thinking hard about grading and assessment and reporting with parents and developing you know really good relationships. I take some pretty hard stances on things, but I, I think the important thing is to have a good dialogue and open mind uh, about how we're doing school. It's not just grading and assessment. There's a lot of things that have evolved and changed for the better. I want to have a positive uh, mindset about what we can do in the field of education. I'm really, really proud of the field the last few years and a lot of the difficult things that we are continuing to go through. And I think most people uh, know that education is the backbone of our country and that uh, they want to support it. They want to understand it. We're not the bad guys. <laughs> Educators are not the bad guys. We're not the villains. Uh, if you really think about, you know, all the people that are in education that you that you've come across, they're not in it to try to get rich scheme or try to make life difficult for your kids. As a matter of fact, we lose a lot of sleep at night just trying to do the very best we can, you know, thinking about, um, you know, we talked about grading a lot on this episode. I mean, there's been tons of times where I've thought about, you know, a mark that was wrong or, you know, not enough feedback on an essay that I gave back and that left them kind of, you know, actually losing sleep at night about things like that. And I think most educators are that way. And um, I'm really proud of them. I'm proud of the, the educators and school leaders that are out there today. Um, we make mistakes, but man, there's really tough people that want to do right by kids. And we entrust these people every day uh, with so much time with our kids. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to be in the profession and grateful to have a lot of cool people to, to do the work um, that sometimes folks don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's not getting any easier, the profession, but it's, it's also not getting any less important. Um, no, I totally agree. I think more, I mean, to my point previously about technology, I think even more important, I think it's more important to be able to be a connector, be a creator, be a problem solver and have a masterful teacher there that understands neuroscience and understands learning and understands development of kids to be able to help you navigate through that. You know, how do you, how do you help people navigate through the fact that I can just Google something in 10 seconds and think I have the answer, but I really don't understand it. You need a teacher to do that. So it's not something to be fearful of. It's something to be grateful for. Um, and I feel like, you know, our teachers, while there may be quite a few less in the pipeline right now, the ones that I'm interviewing are fantastic. They have a great mindset and they're really trying to take as much as they can from their undergraduate experiences and, and really think about how they can apply it to help kids today from all backgrounds. So it's been very rewarding. And uh, I would encourage people to, to keep working and keep growing keep learning, listening to podcasts and, and finding different mediums to just grow is super important and sharing, just getting good ideas from people. Yeah. Well, a, a good way to wrap that thought up, Chad, what can the listeners do this week to be a more transformative principal like you? Yeah. Ask questions. Um, try to, try to ask and not tell. Uh, we all have we all have uh, really probably some strong feelings about so many different things that we do because we're passionate and we shouldn't apologize about that. And one of my own weaknesses is, or really just not a great strength of mine is to not end up telling through however, however medium it comes out of my mouth usually, or an, even an email that, and I'm just telling you what to think or what I think and giving you that impression that I don't value your context or where you're coming from. And I think school leaders can do themselves a great favor 
just by asking lots of questions um, and trying to learn and get color to the situation um, or just the, the context of, of what's going on with our students and with our curriculum, with our grading. Tell me where you're coming from, um, you know, by asking questions and uh, being truly a good reflective listener and thinking about thinking about your 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 body language and your digital body language. There's just some great research out there about even having your phone in your hand, not even looking at it. But when you talk to someone that um, that actually sends a message that you're not connected. And so mm -hmm. just not even having your phone or your laptop or your Chromebook even present when you're, you're talking to folks. Um, I think that'd be something I would really encourage you to do this week. Have some questions, ask some conversation uh, with your teachers without a phone in your hand, a Chromebook out a piece of electronic, uh, maybe not even a notebook or a pen or a pencil, but it's truly just that true connection. You're capable of remembering a lot. Um, I think that means a great deal to folks. We have a responsibility to, to be a great listener and, and uh, ask questions and be present. Great. That's great. Great advice. Does that include walkie talkies too for campus principals? Yeah, that would include walkie. It would at least squelch them down <laughs> to, a, to a, a dull buzz. It's been a while since I've worn a walkie-talkie, but I do get to to get to wear them on Friday night football games every once in a while in the fall. But yeah, you would want to try to take those down and maybe tell your secretary, "Hey, I'm going to shut this off for 15 minutes or something." <laughs> Let people know you're off the grid, but give them the opportunity to be uh, undivided attention. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks, Chad. Really appreciate you coming on the show today and and sharing some wisdom with the listeners. Thank you. Of course, of course. It's been my pleasure. Keep doing great work out in Wyoming. Um, and thank you for your time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.